Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. On this episode of the podcast, we talked to Taylor DeSomo and Amy Sherman about the state of the restaurant industry in Michigan during coronavirus and specifically what has been happening with what's being called the pause. That pause runs through December 8th. Will it go on further or will we get back to something that resembles normalcy on December 9th? We dig into all of it next on Behind the Headlines. So let's get into it. As we said, our guests this week are Taylor DeSormo and Amy Sherman. And joining me, as always, my co-host, vice president of MLive and soon-to-be general manager of the Detroit Lions, John Heiner, how are you? <laughs> oh, good morning, Eric. Uh, I, I have solved all the Lions problems years ago, I'm but uh, sure you have. for some reason, Matt Millen never re- returned my, my uh, letters that I wrote to him. So um, anyways, good luck to, to Sheila. Uh, Ford Hamp and, and the rest of them. And it's this euphoria you get when you realize, yay, we get a regime, regime change. And then you realize it comes down pretty quickly because you realize we'll be doing this again in three to five years. So, yes. you know, anyways, here we are, as we, that's, which is my catchphrase for 2020. But uh, coming off the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, this is of like no other, of course, in so many ways, but we're also coming through another modified shutdown in Michigan, uh, modified shutdown of businesses and because of the coronavirus and then, you know, compounded by all this travel over the holidays, uh, who knows where we're going to end up with this. Saw the most alarming thing I saw yesterday was Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House advisor on coronavirus, said anyone who traveled at Thanksgiving should go get a test and assume they're positive. <laughs> it's just it's mind blowing that, uh, you know, and, and millions of people did travel. It just kind of a reminder, I think, that we're going to be in for a long winter. Um, one of the things I wanted to revisit, though, something we we talked about early in the coronavirus this spring is the impacts on businesses, small businesses in particular. And a subset of them that, that really get hit hard, that are at least in the public eye, are restaurants and bars, um, which I think everybody in a community you know, frequents and, and uh, they're part of their social life. And they're really out front, I think, in this whole struggle for small businesses in a very public way. Also, there were a lot of issues about aid to both businesses and individuals that I think we're going to have to take a fresh look at going into this winter with the unknown spot. So today, I thought we'd be joined by some people who have some expert insight on that from our MLive team and from our public interest statewide reporting team, Taylor DeSormo, who covers uh, legislative and political issues. Hello, Taylor. Taylor, good morning. Morning. How are you? 
Great. And then from our Michigan's best team, which, which is again, covers restaurants, food, travel, destination, really tied in with that industry is uh, half of our dynamic duo for Michigan's best, Amy Sherman. Good morning, Amy. Hey, Heiner. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. Uh, let's just start right now, Taylor, if you could just give us a landscape. There were some discussions right now in the legislature about another aid package. The state is urging the federal government to extend the CARES package. And I just saw yesterday that they're uh, reminding businesses that there's some, some loan money available um, for short term. So what's the status right now politically of, of the aid packages for, for businesses? Yeah, yeah. So if, if we're going to get money from anywhere, um, any, anything substantial, it's going to have to be from from the federal government. And right now, it seems kind of like a, a stalemate, especially with the lame duck session right now. Uh, we do have, I think it was announced yesterday, there's Michigan is um, putting out $10 million. It's, it's from some of the CARES Act funding, and it can go to small businesses in Michigan. Um, but, but the problem is that is this $10 million really isn't a lot. So I, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready? Okay. So, so I had no idea on this number yesterday, so don't feel bad if you don't know, but how many small businesses do you think there are in Michigan? Well, I don't want to, uh, you know, get into the weeds here, but when you say small, do you mean like fewer than 50 employees or something like that? Um, yeah, yeah, but basically any, I don't know the exact number, but, but that includes even if, if you got a cousin knitting in their basement and selling them on Etsy, like just any kind of small business that's, that's not, not large. All right, I'm going to say 100,000. Okay, Amy? That's low, Heiner, low. I'm going to say <laughs> 1 million. <laughs> okay, you're actually a little closer, Amy. I, I would have had no clue yesterday. There are 870,000 small businesses. Wow. Which account for half of Michigan's employees, about 2 million employees. So the yesterday's aid package that came out from the state or the, or the grants um, is $10 million and is about $15,000 each. So if you do the math, it comes out to 666 businesses that get it. So le less than 1,000 businesses get are getting these grants and there are 870,000 businesses out there that need it. So this is really just a drop in the bucket. I mean, it's a start, but it's, it's really almost nothing for a lot of these businesses mm -hmm. that, that really need help right now. Well, I was, I was aiming low so Amy could look good, but uh, <laughs> I succeeded. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, what happened in the first round Taylor um, and you know, how much, how long, how far did that go? How long did it last? And then uh, I'll turn to Amy with a question about how it worked, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, there were three key parts of the first uh, first round of aid package that we saw back in the spring. You saw the, the PPP loans where um, the federal government gave money to small businesses that, that helped them kind of pay their employees, maybe keep them on payroll, cover expenses and things like that. Um, and economists say that was huge. Um, a, a second part was unemployment. They gave an extra $600 per week um, to people who were who were off laid off, and that that was really big as well to, to kind of help keep the economy going. And and you really saw that that help out um, with the consumer spending numbers. The third thing was the stimulus, which is where everybody who um, made seventy five thousand dollars or less got twelve hundred dollars um, just in, in a check. And um, while that was enjoyable for a lot of people, I, I talked to some economists who said that that really didn't go toward much besides maybe paying down some debt going mm -hmm. into savings account. Um, paying off student loans, things like that. So while, while it was really nice that they say that that really um, didn't help a ton um, the economy. But right now we pretty much have nothing. Um, there's there's no PPP loans. There's there's unemployment is just what the state has. And, and really Michigan's unemployment trust fund is shrinking and shrinking. I think it was at 
four and a half billion at the start of this. And now it's at about one and a half billion. So we're really, we're really kind of cutting down on the reserves here right now. What's the status of discussions between the governor, uh, the, the legislature on another, any kind of stimulus or, or aid package for businesses? Um, well, I, I know that I think the biggest thing that this, the governor is talking about is just extend some of the unemployment benefits beyond December 31st. So they made a few changes to make it easier to make more people eligible. Um, they've kind of done that throughout the pandemic, whether it was with executive order or or with um, something passed by legislature. But right now that only goes through the 31st of December. So that's something they're really pushing on to extend further so that that unemployed people can can get some types of, of benefits. And I know state officials, not just Michigan, around the country are pushing um, Congress, which has talked some about stimulus packages, but hasn't done a second one yet yeah. um, to extend, at least extend the CARE Act, uh, yeah, CARES yeah. Act. The right. biggest talk was definitely right before the election. And, and since then, there really hasn't been much talk. So I'm not sure if we should expect much in December. Maybe, who knows, um, maybe one the new uh, um, new Congress comes in in January and new president, we, we might see something different, but we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Amy, when you were on the spring, you cited a staggering number, which I have repeated many times to other people who can't believe it when they hear it either, which is that without some kind of sustained aid for small businesses, bars and restaurants, we could see as many as 80% of businesses fail. Um, what has been the experience through the summer? I mean, we were able to get back to a little bit of semblance of normal. Um, and when bits, bars and restaurants were able to reopen for indoor dining, at first I saw a lot of vigilance about spacing tables and, you know, they would put police tape over booths and things. And, and then as we got into towards the fall, I saw less and less of that. I saw more and more crowded restaurants and that's, you know, we know where we're at now. But how much did the last aid package help stabilize the industry and then what's this what's happening on the ground right now in the industry from people that you know so the first go around with the shutdown back in in march that happened for three months um was in a way sustainable for the restaurants um and most of them have told me it's because of the um, extra unemployment that people were getting and the stimulus package um they then had money to spend in the restaurants. They had discretionary income. Um, They also had a a better, I think all of us had a better sense at that time that we were all gonna do what we could to support these small businesses. We were gonna go out and order food as much as we could. We were gonna tip heavy. We're gonna do all that um, in the hopes that we were gonna pull through this, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now we kind of pulled through it and we're right back where we started. And so what restaurants are seeing on the ground is there isn't that passion behind supporting them in that sense. Everyone has a sense of ennui right now, right? When is this going to end? What are we going to do? And there is no money out there, extra money for a lot of discretionary spending. And a lot of times that ends up directly with restaurants. Um, the, and the other problem is, is that they are not being communicated with. And so these shutdown, this shutdown happened like with a couple days notice, they're stuck with no plan from the government. Um, no guidelines. The guidelines that they're given are, um, you know, disputed between the Health and Human Services, between um, the Health Department, between the government, between the Liquor Control Commission. They can't figure out what they're supposed to be doing. And to a person, everyone I know, they want to do what's right. They want to follow the rules. They want to be safe. They want to do all these things, but they are getting no guidance and no help. And no matter what federal bailout may or may not be coming, it is most likely too late for a lot of places. If they were to pass something within two weeks, even that might not be enough to save some of these guys that I've talked to. Um, their employees are hurting. 
Mm -hmm. um, we're talking, you know, 350,000 restaurant employees in Michigan, 250,000 of them were essentially laid off um, two weeks ago. And there is no more money in unemployment. And so it is really a desperate situation um, right now. And we don't have that kind of commonality, that passion that we had back in March to, to support. We need to, we need to find it again and we need to come up with some solutions immediately to help these people out. The first thing that we need to do is have Congress come back from their vacation and <laughs> start talking about this. <laughs> yeah, you, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. There was this, you know, we can do it, you know, spirit back in March and people were, you know, and not just for restaurants and bars and things, but first responders and uh, every, you know, community agencies are stepping up and you know, we were all in it and we were tipping 40, 50% on our takeout orders. And, and, you know, I would just share something statistically that we see in our coverage is in March and April, more than 60% or 50, 60% of all of our readership on MLive was to coronavirus stories. I mean, our audience was off the charts because everybody, they were, they were, they were unknowns. They, they were worried. They wanted to know. And so we're actually in a worse surge now. I mean, the, the case rate is double or triple what it was in March or April. And our readership on coronavirus is, is below 20%. Of, of total audience. I mean, people have, as you said, gotten fatigued. They've checked out a little bit. They don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think they're just hunkering down. We're going into winter. Back to the bars and restaurants. Um, I live in Celine. They have a number, they have like five restaurants right downtown. Um, and it's pretty well supported by the community. And you get to know these business owners. And I was talking to one of them who got the PPE P loans and he, it had the desired effect. He was able to bring all of his employees back. It was, you know, when he shut down, he shut down for, for over a month or, or I think he was shut down for two months and he sent his liquor back to the state. You know, he sold his liquor back and he basically turned off the heat and, but he was able to get back to business and people were able to come back. And as I said, people were sit, coming in and sitting and dining in. I was talking to him and fall came even before this latest shutdown. And he was having to deal with buying heaters and trying to find like, can you get, tents or igloos. And these are all costs. I mean, I don't think you can just rent them um, it, with the unknown of whether or not people are going to come out, whether they're going to use them, whether you're going to have a blizzard in January. So what's facing businesses as winter comes in Michigan? It's not like we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you can have outdoor dining all winter. Uh, what's, what's your forecast, Amy? Well, I was talking to my friend, Stephen Roganson, from, who owns Batch Brewing in Detroit, and he, um, he has uh, three parking lots, uh, open parking lots right outside his brewery. He decided back in like August to build this, all I can describe it as is giant pole barn kind of that he was gonna use for outdoor dining uh, through the winter. He purchased heaters. He spent the money you know, to make it so that it would be an alternative. He put in a takeout window on the outside of the brewery. So when the shutdown happens, he learns that this, Thing he built doesn't qualify, even though when he went and brought it all in, everybody said, yeah, this is fine. Well, now suddenly it isn't because it doesn't, you know, it has doesn't whatever. have three open sides. Exactly. And and he and he was really, you know, adamant that at this moment, you know, everyone has been trying so hard to do everything right. And yet the communication is so incredibly bad and not one dollar can be spent that isn't spent exactly where it's needed. And so for things to be said that were, you know, OK, and then suddenly aren't is debilitating for some of these people. I talked to my friend, Maddie Buskard, who owns um, Bobcat Bonnie's in Detroit. He's got five restaurants. Um, he almost started crying yesterday because an Igloo company decided to give him a free 
igloo. And he can turn that igloo seven times in a wow. shift. Wow. And that's money he can make. And he was like, I can't even tell you how generous this is. You know, but not every restaurant is lucky like him, is what he said. He's like, not every restaurant is lucky enough to get a free igloo. And um, it, it is really going to be a problem. Not only is there a run on igloos and heaters and things like that. So if you, even if you buy them, you might not be able to get them. But then honestly, how many of us are going to go and sit outside when it's zero degree? I mean, we get down to zero degrees. Here, right? I don't think that that's going to really be a possibility. Right. right. Well, I was in Ann Arbor on a two, like two Saturdays ago, and it was probably 45 and I saw some people sitting outside by the torches. They have winter jackets on, wool hats. But how feasible is it to, you know, eat your hot meal? <laughs> how long is it going to be hot? Exactly. I talked to um, my friend Chopper, who oh, his name is Chopper, Chopper Schraben, who owns the Wagon Wheel, and he's fantastic. It's a bowling alley restaurant center. And he, um, a few years ago, he's in Portland. And after um, the tornado went through Portland, he put on a, a a big patio outside that's all glassed in. He has a wood burning oven out there. It's very beautiful. But he's like, is this legal? I don't know if this is legal. And all he wants is a chance to do what's right. He's been doing it right this whole time. He's been following all the protocols. He's been shutting down on his own when uh, an employee happened to get sick and hadn't been in the restaurant for two weeks. He still shut down. He did what was right. And he feels like all that power has been taken away from him. And now mm -hmm. he's just sitting there waiting for disaster to strike, essentially. Yeah. I've heard I have about a real the heater issue, too. Like Places that they want to, to buy outdoor heaters are trying to, to adjust and and they're back ordered for a month, two months and things like that. So it's, it's nearly impossible. A lot of places have spent money. There are grants out there to, um, to buy outdoor dining equipment, whether it's for heaters or for, for outdoor tables and things like that. There, there are grants from the Small Business Association of Michigan where you can, you can have um, some money to, to help um, supplement that. But the problem is that spend money on these types of things, like, like you mentioned in Detroit, and they they still had like more than one side closed, so it's still technically counted as indoor dining. But we were allowed to have indoor dining up until the end of um, November, middle of November. So basically, now that indoor dining is not allowed, a lot of these places that had tents with three or four walls and and, and igloos and things like that, now you can either only have one party in there and only have six people, or you, you can't have anything open at all. So it's it's really putting these places in, in a tough spot who spent all the money to invest in. In outdoor dining and now they're like well you you can't do it unless you only have one wall and and at that point how cold is it going to be you know yeah a tent with one wall it's not a, a tent that's it's a lean to tent. it's a lean to yeah that's, that's a terrible <laughs> boy scout outing is what that is a tent with yeah. one wall <laughs> yeah uh, well you one other thing that i don't want to just like make it more dour than it sounds but last week the irs ruled that businesses can't deduct the money they got from the PPP loans uh, that they used for payroll um, and, and other expenses. That if, it, if you had used regular business money to pay those things, those are deductible as for, in a business expense. But the money from the government won't be deductible. Um, it's just like a whammy on top of whammy for these small businesses. Yeah, beat them when they're down. <laughs> and, and so, you know, before you go, I want to, there's, there's some other political angles here I want to explore with you too. Before we do though, Amy, what's the feasibility of just going cold for the winter? Just like shutting down, telling your employees, you know, we're going we're gonna to shut everything down. Please stay with me. I'll see you in the spring. I mean, is there any feasibility of that to a business owner? Or are you just looking at going out of business at that point? Well, I mean, could you do that, John? Could you just not have a paycheck for six months? And I mean, right? You, you just right. can't. What will happen is um, 
some places might try to just shut down and, you know, their staff probably won't come back. They'll have to hire someone new. And that might be possible if they don't have to pay rent, if they already own, you know, the building, mm -hmm. the business. Um, that, that could be possible and just, you know, sit there on it. But if you're paying rent, you have to have some income come in no matter what it is. And I, I mean, I still see restaurants who are, um, you know, trying to do the takeout thing, um, trying to do that to, to at least generate enough money to just cover their bills, but their employees will not be able to stay on and, and they will have to let them go. And so then they're going to have to, you know, apply for unemployment. Hopefully there'll be some for them, but that's still only 360 bucks or whatever it is a week. It's, it's not enough. And so uh, you, what you'll start to see then are these businesses going out. And I think that if we, I think a, a big date is the, is the next, um, you know, are we going to continue the pause? And I hate that. Right. It's not a pause. <laughs> if they continue that pause, that's when you'll see a bunch of restaurants probably decide to throw in the towel and just not, just not continue because there is no end in sight. There is no, no, like, okay, I can hang on until January, maybe, but maybe it's not going to be January. You know, that when that unknown part is becoming really problematic right. for a lot of restaurants. Yeah, you're right. If I had called the staff being today and said, you know, we're shutting down for six months with no pay, Everybody, hey, I hope to see you all on June 1st. Come on back. Sure. I, I wonder how many people would be there on June 1st, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Amy talked about how in the spring, everyone it was everyone was on the same team, right? And they're they're pushing forward and they're they're leaving big tips and doing what they can to help the small businesses. And you just wonder if, if people are more divided right now, if they're more arguing about, about whether they there should be a closure or whether there shouldn't be a closure, whether their business should stay open and, and defy the orders and, and stick it to the man or, or whether, or then, then on the other side of the coin, there's people that are saying, Oh, I'm never going to go to that restaurant again in my life because they're opening and they're putting my community in danger. And, and it, it's becoming um, like everything in 2020 and more, more of a battle and less of a team. And, and I think that's, that's really a problem. And I have a question for Amy. I was wondering about takeout right now. Obviously that's a huge thing you can do to help your, your small businesses or restaurants that are still open but when it comes to restaurant sales i guess how much like is, is alcohol really helpful because obviously most people aren't going to do that when it comes to takeout but when it comes to actual revenue for restaurants is the alcohol part of it a really big chunk is, is that something that just won't be able to be made up huge john heiner <laughs> knows his dad used to own a bar i mean huge it's huge especially i mean for especially for places like bars obviously then it's going to be like 80 percent of their sales but even in just a regular restaurant you're talking upwards of at least 40% in alcohol sales. And so, yeah, you're right. And some places are, they, they did loosen those restrictions a little bit. You can get some to go, um, alcohol, cocktails, things like that. I know I picked up some Bloody Marys the other day from um, Little Lucy's Cafe here, all packaged up, ready to go, it's super cute. But still, it's not the same. I was talking to, to the chef there, Danny, and she's like, yeah, so they, you pick up one Bloody Mary and you take it to go. That's not the same as, you know, a couple sitting at the bar having a few, then having breakfast and then, you know, hanging out for a while and creating that whole atmosphere. So yeah, you really can't make that up. And the other thing I think about too with takeout, we all think, oh, we just switched to takeout. It, that is also not that easy for restaurants. If they are not set up for that, we're talking suddenly having to purchase all sorts of containers and things like that, setting up a whole new system for your restaurant. Um, a lot of times changing your entire menu so that you can actually package it up and it will still be good when you get home. I mean, we all know French fries do not travel well. <laughs> right, right. You know, yeah, the loss of alcohol is humongous for the industry. Yeah, alcohol markup is really high and nobody complains about it because you're there to socialize. You know, you're paying uh, triple for a bottle of wine of what it costs the restaurant to have it. I mean, if you ever look on a, a, a restaurant, the bottle of wine, say it's 40 bucks, it's going to be 20 bucks at, at Meyer. 
Um, it's usually a, a pretty big markup, but you don't complain because it's part of the social experience of dining. And to Amy's point, if, if, you know, six guys go to watch a football game, they're going to sit there for a while, you know? And, and so that's, that's a big uh, profit center for, for businesses. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking to is like, who really is not as impacted by this is take out Chinese restaurants. <laughs> and pizza. And, yeah, and pizza. pizza. Pizza's up something like 250% in the industry, across the industry in, in sales this year. And I know a couple people in town, I know one person here in Grand Rapids, I live in Grand Rapids, um, who owns a, a, a regular, more regular cafe type place to go. He shut it down, got rid of the lease, moved across the street and opened a takeout pizza wow. place. And wow. now he's doing great. Wow. Yeah, I can confirm it totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I waited for Domino's pizza a month or two ago. <laughs> um, Okay, we touched that. You just kind of touched on this a little bit, but what looks like defiance from some people in the restaurant industry, the, the organized part of it is they went to court and filed a, a suit saying that the shutdown orders were unconstitutional. And there was another hearing on that yesterday, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, there hasn't been a ruling yet, but then just the open acts of defiance uh, where restaurants are not just staying open quietly, they're saying join in with us. They're trying to band together with other restaurants and say, and in one thing we haven't seen is is a real uh, zeal on the part of say local law enforcement to get involved. Uh, it, it has come down to let, you know liquor licenses being pulled or fines being levied. But I also think the state's apprehensive because we saw what happened with the barber in Owasso this spring, who decided yeah. to stay open and fight it. Went all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. Um, so I think the state knows they got to tread a little lightly on this. Amy, what's the thinking? Is this just the sense of desperation? that we've got to, you know, we've got to make a stand and the way to do it is open defiance. And, well, and, and, Taylor, and Taylor touched on some backlash too that consumers may have against that. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I did, I did talk to Justin Winslow from the MRLA and they, they filed that lawsuit out of desperation, essentially, that they didn't know what else to do. How can this be considered an emergency? Um, and there's a lot of controversy, I think, within the restaurant industry about that lawsuit. Um, I heard a lot of kind of clap back from it that, that, it was kind of a waste of time and they and the MRLA would be doing a lot more for the industry if they were lobbying the federal government for funds immediately, um, as opposed to doing this lawsuit, which probably, who knows, it's just going to languish there for a little, a little while. Um, and maybe they'll be able to reopen, but that's still not going to help a lot of the other, the other problems. Um, but everyone wants to do what's right. They want to follow the rules again, but they are getting desperate. And I didn't talk to anybody who was ready to to break, you know, to break the rule and to do that. Number one reason, Heiner, you're right, it's the liquor license. They pull the liquor license from you and you will never have a restaurant again that's going to be profitable. And so they are not willing to, to risk that. I mean, that was actually a smart move on the state as to mm -hmm. how to enforce it. As you say, you're going to pull the liquor license. And so no one I talked to is anywhere near ready to do that, but but they are desperate. They are hoping someone, you know, hears these cries for help. And 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 they do understand, in a sense, the people who are doing it because they're like, what what are we supposed to do? You know, we are going to lose everything, our whole family business, all of our employees' jobs, and we have people counting on us. And so the, I think it is definitely coming from that sense of, of absolute desperation. Right. Hey, Taylor, what's the likelihood of anything shaking loose here politically uh, or legislatively to help? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't think that that's going to be um, much help, especially from the state level. There's just not the funds and available to help there. I think anything help help wise is going to come from the federal government. And, and I think everyone's looking at that December 8th date right now that during the three week pause and uh, 
I, I think no one expects on December 8th or December 9th for restaurants to be allowed to reopen. It, I mean, if you look at the numbers, things are only getting worse. Hospitalizations are going up. And, and the problem is restaurants really check off all the boxes of, of kind of risk where you get your indoors, you're, you're close with a bunch of people who aren't from your household, you're, you're um, what's another one? You're not wearing masks when you're eating and drinking. You can't do that. And, and then also you're there for a long time, maybe an hour or so, whereas a grocery store, you might only be within six or 10 feet of somebody for a minute in passing. So it's, it's an unfortunate situation for restaurants, but the state says, hey, if we can, and there's a few, of course, that are defying um, a few restaurants, but if they can still close 90% or 95% of them, that, that's still going to really help in the long run, even if they can't get every single restaurant to close in terms of trying to, to just reduce the spread of the virus right now. And obviously, restaurants aren't the, the reason that, that um, the virus is spiking right now, but that's one of the easier things to control. It's harder to control someone's house and people going over there for for a get together but it's a lot easier to say hey these restaurants need to be closed so the restaurant or the the state's kind of targeting what they can control right now and that's unfortunately for restaurants that they're part of it yeah i there was a lot more open defiance across all society this spring and summer with the rallies at the capitol stuff like that and amy just looks like it looks like i said okay there's eight hundred thousand small businesses but the ones who are really in the limelight here and, and look to be suffering the most are the hospitality industry. And, you know, they're, they're really in the, the eye of the storm here. How about hotels? I just real quickly, Amy, what, what about the, the other parts of the hospitality industry? Are they less affected because, you know, individuals could still travel or, you know, when you go in a hotel room, you're isolated? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely, you know, getting busier, I think. And, and, I've, and I know tourism is kind of reopening in a sense across the state, but, but tourism is tied to restaurants and visiting towns is tied to the hospitality industry. I mean, we go to a place like Marshall, Michigan, because there's great places to eat. And we, you know, that's why we go to Jackson or whatever. Um, but so that is, is definitely going to affect it on the other end. Um, but it's, tourism is definitely down for sure from what I've heard it, it you know it, it's the fourth quarter is picking up um and I'm sure Eric has heard the same thing but it's it's nowhere near what it should be and you know we'll see what happens in the winter but again that industry is tied to the restaurant industry for right. sure. and yeah. I like what Tyler what you said um about you know the restaurant industry has been an easy target and that's what one of my restaurant tourist choppers said that they're the low-hanging fruit they're the easy target and that's what makes it I think feel even more unfair it's like so they get picked out again and again and again, and, and how much are they supposed to take? At some point, we have to maybe look at the harder questions and, and find some different answers and stop, you know, it can't all fall on one industry. Mm -hmm. Amy, what can people do to help? I mean, it seems obvious support local business, but beyond that, what we're going into the unknowns. As Taylor said, this winter, it's not going to get better. Probably it's going to get worse for this winter. We probably won't get a reprieve until spring. Vaccines are going to everyone's excited, but it's going to take a while to roll them out and then see if they're effective. So we're going into the long winter. What can people do to help people in the restaurant and uh, bar industries? I think we all need to dig deep and find the strength that we had back in the spring. I mean, I know I'm there too. I'm tired of all this. I'm so tired of it, but we've got to rally. We really have to rally as a state, as the state of Michigan. We, you know, we are so strong in so many ways and we have got to do it again. And we, we have to support these restaurants. We have to order. We need to commit that we're going to eat out like once a week, order the takeout, you know, bring it home, enjoy it. And then post about it online. Tell mm -hmm. everybody, tell everyone your favorite restaurant, tell why you love your favorite restaurant. I know John Gonzalez and I, my partner in Michigan's best, we're doing a series called love letters to Michigan. 
uh, restaurants. And we would love to hear the stories of the restaurants that have given back. Most of these restaurants in our community are huge community partners. They're the ones that sponsor your kid's little league team. They're the ones that donate to your kid's dance recital. This is the time that you have to give back to them for all their generosity over the last few years. So order the food, share what you got, share the love, um, and let's recommit to supporting these restaurants and see them through these next couple difficult months. Yeah, thanks, Amy. And Taylor, is there, should people sit down with pen and paper and write a lobbying letter to their, their representative and, and put a stamp on it and send it and hope that's going to be effective? Uh, it can't hurt. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how much it'll help, but it can't hurt. Um, I think if the pressure from, from both sides of the aisle, then maybe something will get done. Um, but you never know. I mean, just, I mean, even just looking at this affects everything, looking at the unemployment advance claims, um, the new claims every week. I mean, through October, it was 15,000, 12,000, 5,000, 16,000, 12, whatever. And then last week it was 32,000. So it's like double the number of people who are newly applying for unemployment. Um, we just doubled that number in a week and it's just going to keep getting higher. So um, I think any any kind of letter writing that you can do to, to just ex- explain to you, your lawmakers that, hey, things are, it's not just that I can't turn and have a mimosa. This is affecting everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that we need help and anything you can do, I guess, yeah, would be helpful. But yeah, I think like Amy said, ordering takeout, um, keeping these businesses in mind, about half of them might close during the shutdown, according to some of the estimates, but there's still going to be another half open that are, are really desperate for your business. I, for one, will explore many one-sided tents this winter. <laughs> All the ones I could find. I put a big wool hat. I'm not lying. I make a little Christmas list, you know, and I got my big wool hat on there. I want, so I, I for one will bundle up and, and sit outside and yeah, uh, it might be time to invest in a, a warm jacket and some long underwear. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks so much, Taylor and Amy for joining us today. It's uh, you know, I wish it was as happier news for Michigan, but uh, one of the things that we saw in the spring was people pulling together and, we did the Powering Positivity campaign here in Michigan at M Live for 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 Michigan uh, businesses and we some things supporting the front lines and it takes effort to Amy's point. It isn't going to be someone else's issue to fix. I think it, it we all can affect it a little bit. And okay, everybody, there's 10 million of us. Let's go out and spend 10 bucks this Saturday or this week on takeout food and and this just repeat it for the winter because the, these are the small businesses like these are the heart of a community. I'll tell you four of the five restaurants in Celine shut down for that first couple of months. And it was, it was kind of sad. You're walking down the town. There's nobody in the parking lots. There's nobody down there walking. There's no, no energy. And when you do at least have the takeout, you still have that energy going on uh, and the interaction between people and neighbors. And and these are people who live in your community. So let's, let's rally together. I, I, I can't even tell you how much I spend on takeout because I live alone. <laughs> cooking for one is not, you know, cooking for one is, is not great. So you're a special stimulus package all yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that a walking stimulus package. There you go. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. For you. You guys have a great week. And there they go, Taylor and Amy. A huge thanks to them for joining Behind the Headlines, talking about the impact of this version of a shutdown on the restaurants in your community. As always, if you like what you're listening to, you can do us a couple things. You can rate and review and then share the podcast wherever you hear it. Until next week, I am Eric Hulkerin. He is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines.